what triggered this bizarre behavior. Journey into the cold heart of northern darkness with Nordic crimes. That case uh, became like a scene from a horror movie. A new true crime documentary series that chilled the bone. The hunger for killing is increasing in the course of these homicides. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nordic Crimes is a part of the Acast family. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, this is a prepaid call from... Anthony's Duke. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. It just wouldn't make sense any way other than there had to be someone that knew him or that was close to him. No, no, I don't no. know if she wants to get involved and stir a bunch of crap up again, so... Hello. And welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And we have four previous fascinating cases ready for you to binge right now. Today is part one of my chat with Anthony Duke, or Tony. Mr. Duke. Hi. Uh, hello. How are you, sir? Hello. <laughs> I'm all right. Mate, it's uh, I'm very well, thank you. It's great to finally get to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, here we are. Tony and I have been chatting for some time. We actually have probably spoken the most via email than I have with any of the other men or women. It took Tony a little while to warm up to the idea of interviewing with me about his story and his life. But once we got chatting, I believe he found the whole experience quite cathartic, started to open up more and more. What's a day look like for you uh, these days? Get up, uh, go to breakfast, say my prayers, have some coffee, study my Bible, go outside, work out. Are you in a, a cell situation or are you, are you in a, a large room with a number of people? No, I'm in a two-man cell. You, you get along with your bunkie? Yeah, we'll get along. You know, you have to or you, you make the best of it. Yeah, true. It's someone you spend a lot of time with, I suppose. Right, right. Tony is currently serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole for the ultimate crime. I was convicted of second-degree murder and felony murder, two separate charges, uh, first-degree home invasion, larceny in a building, felony possession of a firearm, and five felony firearms, one for each one of the charges I was just mentioned. Life, a mandatory life without the possibility of parole for the felony murder 
they merged the second degree murder in with the felony murder for the sake of, of sentencing purposes so not to double jeopardize me. It's probably good to be clear from the very start that you um, you are very adamant and always have been that you were not the person who committed this crime. Correct. Tony is a deep thinker and a very religious man. He's a man who likes to write, but also who likes to ask me as many questions as I throw at him. There's been many a morning when I've woken up to an email from Tony with a riddle or two for me to solve. Just fun cryptic questions you might find in a trivia game or hidden inside a Christmas cracker. Or just questions for me about life and family. Now, as you know, the people I speak with are talking to me from inside correctional institutions. Some more chaotic than others. And Tony's... Well, Tony's would definitely be the loudest. So did you, like, just, just quickly on your up- upbringing, um, did you come from, uh, you obviously, you know... I'm not sure where in the prison Tony talks to me from, but most of the time there's people yelling, loud banging, and the odd interruption as Tony is seemingly approached by other inmates asking questions. So you literally have to go there and get... Me. Me. Doing the shower. And, uh, oh, oh, I can't do this right now, bro. He's in the shower. He'll be out. All right. So, I hate this place. But nonetheless, we push on with his story. Tony has by no means been a saint all his life, and I think would be the first one to admit he made some questionable choices as a younger man. As with most of the men and women I speak with, we chatted about his life growing up, and I asked him if his home life was a happy one. No, definitely not a happy home. They were divorced when I was really young. In fact, the man I referenced to as my father adopted me when I was nine months old. Right. And I didn't even know that he wasn't my real father until I was 14. How did you feel about that when you found out at 14 that he wasn't your real father? Uh, No, that my mom lied to me. Yeah. She told me that she's my mother and that we don't lie to each other. And when when I found out about that, I felt betrayed because I didn't understand why who I thought my father was, wasn't around, and I always thought it was me. I didn't know what or why, what I did. Do you know who your real father was? Yeah, I know who he is. Uh, I knew him at that particular time when it came about. I just thought he was a friend of my mom's. She just thought I needed some sort of a male role model in my life. So it was someone I went and worked on cars with and went mud bogging with. And, and then I was asking why she was always talking to him on the phone. And, and she, that's when she sat me down and told me the truth. So just like with a lot of the other men and women I speak with, he had a tough life growing up. And from what he tells me, he was a pretty scrappy kid, finding himself getting into fights quite often. Yeah, I got in a lot of fights growing up. Uh, I came home one time from school with a bloody nose because someone punched me. And I didn't like what my dad said to me. Told me I should never come home 
crying like a bitch. So I never again came home as losing a fight. That's a pretty um, full-on thing for a dad to say to a kid. Yeah, I think I was in the third grade. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. He was, he was quite a tough man. Yeah, he he was. Uh, I see I seen the difference between how he was with us growing up and uh, how he is, was with my little brother. There's a 10-year difference. And it's just like everything. We all got to learn. We got a learning process and a growing process. You know, we never get it right the first time. We can only do what it is that we know and we're taught from who it is we learn from. It's very true. And then we learn from our own mistakes. We all learn from our own mistakes and try not to repeat the wrongs that we did. I don't think he get anything out of spite or anything just I don't I don't know I think he was just trying to you know do the best he knew how to raise a kid so I always felt I had something to prove yeah you know that I couldn't let him down so you would so any fight you would get so in you always would fight to win correct sometimes I might have overreacted and jumped the gun you know out of just lack of intelligence, pure ignorance, whatever, you know, just because I knew what would come if I came home like that again. But for a kid that young to come home upset after being in a fight, to get that response from your father would definitely leave a mark. And as Tony would tell me, it certainly did on him. He would spend the rest of his life trying to do what he could to get his father's approval. I asked Tony to talk me through what he was doing in the lead-up to the situation that would find him in jail for life. And I quickly learnt that Tony was no stranger to the inside of a prison cell. Well, I paroled from prison in February 2011. And I came home to my house that I got from my mother when I was 16. And my sister was currently living there taking care of it after graduating high school i came home and literally went to work with at my father's landscape company plowing snow uh and then i had a couple buddies that picked me up and we have uh some some hot spots we know for where we used to be out of, well, growing up we could pick up metals and take them to the scrapyard for money uh, from old farms around the countryside and people we know that just save stuff like that and they'll give us that for some, some work around their farm or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I, the first week I was out, I was able to stack up on, you know, about four or 500 bucks. So as he mentioned, he was out on parole from a recent stretch of time inside prison. So I asked him to talk me through that incident that saw him in prison for the very first time. I was on felony probation for uh, an assault with a dangerous weapon and receiving concealed stolen property. Well, uh, well, we was at a party and a guy sucker punched me through the window of a truck and took off. Him and I have had words going on for several times. He was threatened 
to beat me up and all kinds of stuff all over a girl that I used to date and he dated her little sister and he was older than me and she was way younger than us so I'd always cut into him about him being too old for to be dating a 13 year old girl I don't know he felt he had to stick up for her older sister and he was always just and all that because I broke up with her called her the B word and I guess that didn't sit well with him so after a several months of back and forthness we finally ran into each other he was two years older than me i figured we'd get it done with we're gonna fight do whatever we gotta do it's over with yeah you ain't gonna threaten me you know these people you i ain't worried about all that you sucker punched me took off we're gonna finish this well, we all met, and there was like 300 some people there. And by the time I got there, my buddy already kind of tossed him around, beat him up pretty bad. He got put in his car, and when they were leaving, his buddy hit my aunt, who was 18 months older than me, and went to school with him, hit her with the, the car, and just yelled out, sorry, and squealed the tires. Well, she was limping, and so I jumped in my truck, and I took off after him. You know, I still felt some kind of way because I didn't get to fight him myself. But I'm not, I can't jump on somebody who was already on the ground. But they hit my aunt with the car. I took off after him. I passed him and slowed down. And he went around, sideswiped my truck. I sped up and got really close behind him and went to pass him while I didn't go all the way around. And I nicked him with the corner. I slowed down, he kept going. I sped up and just rammed him from behind, shot him off into the ditch. And they said if I if I would have stopped and reported an accident, I would have just got an accident. Yeah. But I didn't have a driver's license and I left the scene of a crime, so they charged me with assault with intent to do great bodily harm, less than murder. Wow. For that. So he found himself in front of a judge with these charges and was placed on parole, meaning he would have to toe the line or find himself straight off to prison. Tony lives in a part of the world where guns and hunting are a way of life. You don't just hunt for fun, you do it to put food on the table. Well, as a felon, on probation, handling a firearm or being in possession of one is a big no-no. Even more so is actually firing that weapon. And Tony? Well, Tony ticked both of those and added an extra one for good measure. So how long were you in, in prison for for that first situation? A little over two years. And that was at the age of 17? Yeah, well, I was on felony probation first, and I violated that because I, I shot a deer from the window of my truck at night, which is poaching. Right. And because of being a felon with the, being a felon around the gun, they violated my probation and sent me to prison. Resentenced me to prison. That must have been quite and, terrifying for you, you know, being that young. Yeah, I've seen a lot. Uh, you know, I've done a lot on my own. And when I first got into the cell block, it was like a giant bird cage that was like six stories high and people yelling all kinds of obscenities and so much noise and chaos going on and reality hits you and your uh, words can't really explain it. No, I can imagine. I, I mean, it's a feeling not too many people won't admit it, but you see it 
you see it on their face. You know, if you know a first-time person coming in there, it's the way it takes over somebody's whole being, the shock of reality. So Tony spends two years as a kid in a man's world. He said that it scared him enough to not ever want to have to go back again. So when he came out, he was determined to make a positive change in his life. I didn't want to be like the people I watched go home and come back and go home and come back in the short period of time that I was in there. Yeah. That I, I had family and friends out there that, that needed me. And so I went home and I hit the ground running. I had plans. I built a business that was successful. I went to start my first year with 75,000 in signed contracts in landscaping and lawn mowing and snow removal. I had subdivisions, a contract with the county. Actually, it was three counties. It's called OSA, Oakland Livingston Human Service Agency that takes care of older disabled adults. I was reintegrating into the community in a way, I wasn't making a lot of money because they only made money off of donations. They didn't make money. They took donations to help get these jobs done. But to me, it was my way of getting back into the community, paying for any wrongs that I haven't paid for, and trying to rebuild a good name, a good report. Did you come from a very small community where sort of everyone knows everyone? Yeah. So everyone knew that about what you, what you yep. had done to get into prison? Yes, correct. When I would go house to house, trying to just sell myself or, you know, pass out flyer, flyers for gutter cleaning and spring or fall cleanups. There was many times I knocked on doors, people recognized me and slammed the door in my face. Right. Other times they recognized me and gave me a chance and then come out to let me know that they've seen a change or that I wasn't the person that they heard of and thought about. Uh, but growing up, uh, the newspaper has had me in the newspaper on the front page from everything from sports, academics, 4-H, you know, as a 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 14-year-old, you know, but because of the one thing I did kind of erased all that and yeah. I've uh, been defined you, as that one wrong I did. You were obviously building towards a better life. At what point did that all sort of start going wrong, do you think? It never went wrong. Okay. Uh, some things in between the family and relationships between me and people in my family or the girl I was dating and choices that I make to venture out on the woman I was with. But other than that, I mean, I wasn't fully doing everything right, but I felt I was doing what I felt was right. I wasn't condoning an illegal activity. Um, I mean, hunting with a gun on parole, I was a felon, I ain't allowed to have a gun, all right, that's illegal activity. I was sitting in the wood trying to harvest a deer to put on the dinner table for my family. And then, I mean, that's against the law. I'm allowed to ha not allowed to have a gun. But I wasn't out robbing, stealing. I wasn't out doing, causing mayhem, getting drunk, driving around, being an idiot. <clears throat> I was just caught between trying to prove myself to my dad and support a girl and a kid. 
So is this is this your your partner had a child or is this your child? Her child. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, Tony talks us through the first time detectives arrived at his house to ask him a few questions about a friend of his who had been shot and killed, supposedly over money. I just thought they were playing some good cop, bad cop. I said, I don't want that. You're going to put that in my hand. I don't know nothing about it. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You know what time it is. Yes, it is thanks time from me to you for continuing to support this show. Don't forget we have our closed private Facebook group, which you can join at any stage right now. Just search One Minute Remaining Podcast on Facebook and jump in there uh, where we have open dialogues and conversations about all of the stories that we talk about. People ask me questions regularly and I get back to as many people as I can. Uh, you also can jump in there and just chat amongst yourselves. Uh, there's, it's a great community and people are really getting involved uh, and chatting about these stories. So get involved right now. Search One Minute Remaining Podcast and I'll see you in the Facebook group. So before we jump into the crime that Tony was accused and later found guilty of, it's important to understand the area where Tony lived. And to help me get a better picture of that area is journalist Lisa Roos Church. I am a judicial and court reporter with an organization called Michigan Information Resource Services. However, as it relates to the Anthony Duke case, I was a crime beat reporter for the Howell newspaper called the Livingston Daily Press and Argus. So can you tell me a bit about Livingston County itself? Well, I didn't live there, but it's 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 like any other community, frankly, in my opinion. Well, except for the fact that it seems to be mostly white and had a KKK history. It has some small uh, communities that I consider to be rural, uh, which is Iosco Township, which is where this crime occurred. Um, I believe Iosco's population... I think it's about, I want to say 3,000. You right. might want to double check that okay. though. Yeah, right. It's not very big. Yeah. It's a rural area. I believe it's, um, to give you an idea, it's my understanding that it's mostly served by private wells or septic systems. So it's, you know, yeah, right in the, my opinion, yeah. rural. Yeah. <laughs> it's country. Yes, it's really country. So a lot of a lot of big properties. Like um, uh, Tony's been telling me that he lived on a big property, and the, and the 
uh, he, his next door neighbour was the, the guy that was was killed, uh, and he would sort of jump on a four wheeler and, and drive over fields to get to his house. So it's a very, as you said, rural sort of area. Yes. It, would you consider it like a, as like a clicky, like everybody knows everybody type situation? Everyone's sort of in each other's business. Well, you get that at any small town. So yeah, I suppose it could be if you're from there and you know everyone. The, the case itself, obviously, you were you were in the courtroom um, when all this was taking place, and we know that Tony um, said that he, he was it was not him that committed this crime. Did you get a sense of Tony himself? Um, he was not, shall we say, a person who was lily white. He had a background. If I recall correctly, he got into a fight before the murder. Yeah, when he was 17. That led to charges. Mm. Um, so, I mean, he was known, but I don't think he was known for murder until the actual murder occurred. Ronald Hauser was a 47-year-old man who lived alone in a secluded house in Losco Township. Ronald had owned and ran a tree trimming business, Timber Tree Services, in the town for over 20 years. This is a business in which Tony Duke himself would work. He and Ronald were in fact close neighbours and friends who would spend a decent amount of time together. Where did he live in um, sort of respect to you? Was he, did he live close to you? Yeah, uh, just around the corner. I used to ride a four-wheeler through the field, through a couple of fields. To me, it's more or less just crossing a couple of tree lines. And obviously, and, as you said, you used to spend quite a bit of time together. Yeah, yeah, he was, was always there, you know. If he wasn't working, or if we weren't working with him, go over there and hang out, do some chores, you know, because he knew, like Brian and I always had regular jobs, so he, uh, would keep good job, good tree cutting jobs where we could all go have fun and catch up on the week, you know, and put some cash in our pockets. Or we had repeat customers that actually always asked for us. Yeah, because you did a good job, I'm assuming. You no, know, they liked the way we, yeah, they liked the way we worked and the show we put on sometimes, swinging from trees and pumping brush up hills. The way we take a tree down, some people just find rather spectacular. Yeah. And we knew how to conserve our money. We we never needed something before it was time for them to pay or anything. We always had our own money for lunch, water, whatever, snacks. You know, a lot of guys would be begging for five, ten dollars before we left the gas station in the morning so that they could get pop and some candy bars or coffee or or even lunch. He didn't he didn't like that. But he He'd help guys out. He would, but mm. he'd just he'd like to get the job done and do everything we had to do, and then we could relax and reap the reward from our hard work. On New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2011, Ronald Hauser is discovered shot in the basement of his home off Roberts Road near Farmer John's Lane. He'd been shot once through the heart. Now, before we get into the details and timeline of events, I asked Tony how he first found out that his friend had been killed. So, obviously, you know, you were quite, you were close with this guy. So, when you found out about him, his passing, it was, it must have been a, a shock and, um, and very upsetting, I would imagine. Yeah, it was. Didn't really know what to think or say. Did you get a phone call um, from someone to tell you that it had happened, or how did you find out? Yeah, my friend Zach actually called me 
and told me about it. But like, I didn't believe him. He's like, no. He says, I'm, I'm over here. It, it, it's for real. Just kept saying how messed up it was. Then when I went to call my dad about it, my stepmom knew. Mm. She said she told me that my dad and his friend were locked in the barn all morning. That that Ron had passed away or been shot and found dead in his house. And they've been locked in the barn all day. That, that a couple other guys couldn't even get into the barn with them. That they've been locked in the barn for hours. And she told me that. She didn't know what was going on, and she would have him call me as soon as he could. And later on that day, I passed him driving down the road hours later and called him. You know, he recited the same thing I already knew, and basically, after that, it's like everybody, nobody knew what was going on, and everybody suspected everybody else. So, people kept conversation short nobody wanted to really hang out with anybody meet longer than they had to if they had to meet at all even as the only immediate family stayed by themselves so everyone you say everyone suspected everyone else so obviously it's a very small community so everyone kind of just looks at everyone else and wondering who who could have done it right you know, cause that's what that's what the detectives kept saying was it had to have been someone that that knew him because of where he lived and how he lived. It just wouldn't make sense anyway, other than it had to have been someone that knew him or that was close to him. So inevitably, while detectives were investigating the murder of Ronald Hauser. They called Tony and asked to speak with him. Here's Tony to talk us through that first meeting. Like a month after the murder, they called me and asked to meet him at my house to talk. Right. I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, I knew the guy. The word had it they was just surfacing around talking to everyone that he knew. Yep. You know, so I went there. I, I was coming down the road, and I seen the guy in my back fenced-in yard standing by the pond, walking around. Right. I didn't think much of it. I thought he was uh, taking in the view, you know, it's a spectacular view. I grew up having people stop asking if they could take a walk around the pond, you know. There's yeah. a nice grassy path that leads around. It's almost three acres. Yeah, wow. Just around the one pond itself, it's like three acres. And I pull in the driveway, my parole officer and a detective are there. They meet me and tell me, oh, we'll go inside and have an interview. And then I walk through the, the back gate and meet the other detective, you know, and, oh, nice place, da-da-da-da, you know. I said, yeah, it looks like you made yourself right at home. And he snickered. Well, we went in the house. They did a little home check. We're talking, and then that same detective went back outside, only to return however however long later with some thin plastic sabots in his hand, I recognize those sabots. What are sabots? Uh, they're a, a plastic casing that encases the lead slug or bullet as they pack it into the shell. Uh, okay. It's encased, the slug itself, 
and it helps it travel straight down the barrel after it's fired. Right, so it's a casing, well, a bullet casing. Right, and they're, it's called a sabot for a rifled barrel and a smoothbore barrel. Another word would be called a wad. It'd be considered a wad. Anyways, I just thought they were playing some good cop, bad cop. I said, I don't want that. You're going to put that in my hand. I don't know nothing about it. Well, he left. Well, they came back asking if I, anyone shot here, this and that. And so I put it together. I said, well, obviously, them little stab halves you got match something, so let's not beat around the bush here. I ain't got time for all that. I've been doing this too long. I know how you guys play. I says, you know, I'm not a part of none of this. Well, just talk to me directly. Enough of this beating around the bush. He says, yeah, you're right. Something matched. You have one minute remaining. We're going to get cut off, but did you want to give? Me, are you able to give me a call back? Ah, uh, yeah. Ah, yes. There's our friend to wrap up this episode. Still to come. The more digging I do, the more I find there are less people wanting to get involved in Tony's story. No, no, I don't know if she wants to get involved and stir a bunch of crap up again. So. Plus, I get a Facebook message from a former employee of Livingston County, who initially says they want to stay out of it, but eventually begins to open up with some allegations regarding certain members of the sheriff's office. Okay, so I just got this message from this guy who used to work for Livingston County. I've told him he can remain anonymous. And I I asked him if he knew this detective. His response? Holy shit. Just dirty. Always has been. Real asshole too. Uh, He's really going to town now. Next time, on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.